Good morning. This morning's scripture reading is Psalm 26. If you don't have a Bible, you can find this passage on page 429 of the Pew Bible in front of you. Again, page 429, Psalm 26. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence, and I go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Am I on? Ish? Good? Okay, great. Well, it's been a pleasure to be with you and worshiping with you this morning. Uh, I'm returning to Preston Highlands, so uh, some of you may remember me. If not, I would love to get to know you, although you'll have a member meeting after this, and apparently I'll be kicked out. So uh, maybe next time. But either way, it's a joy and a pleasure to be here. Uh, Today, I want to be talking about a topic that many of you are probably familiar with. In fact, I think it's probably the reason you're here, Uh, and it's probably not going to be what you think it is. It's the word happiness. I I want us to center our time around that word, and I want us to think about what it means to be happy. And again, I think that's the reason many of you are here. I think you came this morning, I think you woke up this morning, I think you went through the perhaps drudgery of getting the kids up and getting them fed and getting them dressed and... Uh, Maybe they stained your shirt and you had to change your shirt. I don't know if that may have happened to me. Um, But you went through that whole process, or whatever that process was, to be here this morning because you're looking for happiness. You're looking for how to be happy. And friends, I'm here to tell you, I think as you already know, is that the plan for happiness is in God's Word. And not even just in God's Word, but specifically the plan for happiness is in a specific person, isn't it? It's in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so you might be wondering, where are we going to find this plan of happiness? Where are we going to talk about this plan of happiness? Where is this going to be found, right? There's not the, the book of happy, right, that Solomon wrote, right? Uh, there's not uh, first happiness, right, somewhere in the Bible. But there is the theme of blessedness and happiness all throughout God's scriptures. And specifically, I want to turn to Psalm 1 to see what this plan of happiness really is. So if you have a copy of God's Word, please turn to Psalm 1 with me. And if you are able so that my words would be distinct from God's word, I would ask that you would stand for the reading of God's word. Again, if you are able. I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Version this morning, so it might sound a little different for y'all. Hear the word of the Lord. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners 
or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruits in its season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Let me pray for us. Holy God, would you allow this time in your word to be planted more firmly in our hearts? Would those of us here who need to be ministered in particular with this word, Lord, I pray that you would heal, that you would bring comfort, that you would bring peace, and that for all of us that you would bring conviction and the knowledge that you're with us, the knowledge that you have gone before us and that you have not only met our needs, but you continue to meet our needs on a daily basis. And so, Lord, as we look into your word now, may we see the beauty and the wonder contained therein. And specifically, would we see the beauty and wonder of our Savior, Jesus Christ, of whom this scripture is written about. So may our hearts be enlightened and our minds open as we hear from your word today. We pray this in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Well, friends, again, I, I want to go, go ahead and just argue you're here because you want happiness. And in fact, everybody wants happiness. And I'm going to go ahead and just point out a few reasons and a few ways that I can describe how happiness is pervasive in our culture, right? So you could do the simple Google search, right? You don't have to do this now. But when you Google something like the good life or the happy life, I guarantee you numerous results are going to come up. Perhaps millions of results will be in that Google search. And when I did this not too long ago, I discovered, actually, to my surprise, some things that I wasn't expecting to find. I was expecting to find books about the happy life, of which there are thousands, right? I was expecting to find perhaps a, a, a school or a philosophy of living the good life, of which there are many. But what I actually found on my first search, and probably because it was a promoted ad, right, was an apartment complex called the Belle V Apartments. Is anyone French speakers in here? The Belle V, right? The good life. And so some apartment complex in the Dallas-Fort Worth area is named the Belle V, and they think by you signing a six-month lease and coming to live in their apartment that you're going to live the good life. So that when you enter into that apartment community, and of course, apartment communities are great. You can have a good time in an apartment community. But I'm willing to bet that you're not going to have the perfect, good, happy life. Why? Well, because you have neighbors above you that are playing music at 2 in the morning, right? And you have uh, kids down the hall who are screaming and yelling, that, like, that's none of us, right? Um, this is not exactly the good life, but they want you to think it is. So the Belle V. Another search uh, that came up in that was Bonavita. Bonavita. Any Italian speakers in here? It's the same thing. The good life, right? And in fact, Bonavita is a coffee maker. And so when you order the Bonavita coffee maker, as the ad has told me, uh, you're going to have the best, freshest cup of coffee. It's going to be a pour-over style. It's going to come in this carafe. It's going to keep it warm or whatever. And when you wake up in the morning and you push the button, Bonavita is greeting you. So when you have that cup of coffee, you're living the good life. Now, I like coffee, and I think in some form or fashion, coffee contributes to the good life. We're not going to go there. Uh, 
But it's foolish to think that somehow this coffee maker is going to guarantee my happiness. But they sold me on it, and I have one. So uh, it worked. Bona vida. But you get the picture. We all have these little instances of the happy life being promoted in front of us, whether that's an apartment complex or a neighborhood or a product. They literally use the word happy life or, or the good life. And friends, that's because I think advertisers understand our souls. I think they understand our hearts. They understand the things that get us to spend our cash and our money. They sell us a picture of what the happy life is supposed to be, and then we sign on the dotted line. We put a down payment. We uh, rack up credit card debt so that we could have whatever they're promising. And friends, they understand our souls, but of course, who understands our soul the best? It's the everlasting eternal God of the universe. And he's woven this idea of happiness into our souls, not to be discovered in a coffee maker, not to be, to, to be delivered to you by Amazon, but to be found in the person and work of Jesus Christ and a flourishing life that is connected to him. And, and friends, I'm arguing, beloved, I'm telling you that I think Psalm 1 is giving us that picture And so as we think about Psalm 1, as we think about really the totality of of God's word and the story of redemption, it's a story of happiness. It's a story of finding our happiness, our true joy in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I'll get into this a little bit more today, but I want to kind of also warn us and caution us when we approach God's word, specifically as we look at Psalm 1 today, because a lot of us can read the scripture as I have in the past, and to kind of react two different ways. One is to maybe be, I don't know, a little smug, perhaps. Like, oh, that's not me. I'm not that person. I haven't done that, or I haven't done this. The other reaction is to feel the crushing weight of guilt, because I haven't done these things. I haven't lived this way. My friends, I just want to encourage us that the Lord is not here to put a burden of guilt on your shoulders because you haven't lived this way, because none of us have by the way, nor is uh, the Lord pleased when we enter into his scriptures and say, well, I don't have to worry about that, or that's not me. But no, the the driving force behind the psalmist uh, in in this Holy Spirit's uh, work in the psalmist is to help us see that we need somebody who fulfills us on our behalf. We need somebody of whom we can enter into in his righteousness and in his work and in that, in, his, in our union with him, say, yes, this is me. Yes, I have these things because of what he's done. And so let's look at Psalm 1 in more detail. Let's look and see how uh, the psalmist describes this view and this life of happiness. And quite literally, the reason I, I chose the Christian Standard Bible, uh, not because I work at Southwestern and it's required. Um, that's a joke. But because uh, it's, it's it's it used to be called... What was it? It was called the, um, the Holy Christian, or the, the Southern Baptist Christian Bible. I forget what they used to call it, but it used to be like the standard Bible for all Southern Baptists. But if you're not reading this one, that's okay. You don't have to, you don't have, to have it. Um, so here's, here's what the, the psalmist says. He says, how happy is the one. Your translation might say, how blessed is the one. The, the idea is entering into kind of a domain of happiness, a domain of blessingness a domain of walking in and of the things of the Lord. So blessed is kind of the old school translation. Happy, I think, gets at what the psalmist is trying to say. 
If you look into uh, the, the original language here, it's actually a double emphatic type language. It's, it's using the same word twice to help you understand that this blessed life, this happy life is available to you. How happy, oh happy is the one. It's kind of how the literal translation would be. So it's really hitting the nail on the head by saying, this is what happiness looks like. And specifically, when we think about happy, it's hard for us to read that word. It's hard for us to hear that word. The reason I think that's true is we have a culture that has taken that word and really muddied it down, haven't they? And we have a whole list of words that fall into this category. Uh, one of them is love, right? I mean, these are deep, profound, theological words, right? God is love. But we have taken these words, and we have really just watered them down to almost meaning nothing. So love, I love tacos, right? I, I, I love coffee. I, I love all these things. And I turn around, and I tell my, my spouse I love her. I obviously don't love her the same way I love tacos, right? That would be weird, uh, to say the least. Uh, I, I don't love my children the same way I love a, a, a sports team. But I still use the same word, right? And maybe the word awesome is one of these words, too. I'm totally guilty of using the word awesome way out of context, right? Because, again, uh, this uh, coffee is awesome. Well, if I was really, like, truly viewing this coffee drink as awesome, what would I be doing? I would actually be kneeling down, worshiping this coffee, and saying it was the, the best, most ultimate, almightiest coffee in the whole world. And you would all see me on the evening news being escorted out of Starbucks because I just freaked everybody out, right? But that's what, in its essence, awesome means. I've been struck with awe. And yet we take this word and we attach it to just about anything that we think is great and cool. Happy is one of those words as well. And so I'm also kind of on a, a recovery mission here with you all to reclaim the word happy to help us understand that this is actually a good and right and biblical, theologically rich word that God has for us today. So again, blessed is a good word, but I think happy really helps us understand this. And the psalmist wants us to see that God really does want us to be happy. And this description, I think, helps give us not only the prescription, but also the pattern. And specifically, we're going to look at the pattern of who it is. It's the person. And as he compares this, right, the psalmist says, Oh, happy is the one who does not walk in what? He doesn't say, happy is the one who uh, spends a lot of money, who has a certain kind of career, who has a, a fancy electric car, right? Happy is the one who does not do these things who does not walk in the way of the wicked, or who does not stand in the pathway of sinners, or, or sit in the company of mockers. So it, it's actually, it's a negative description, right? That, that doesn't make sense, right? The Google search that I did did not give me all these negative prescriptions for happiness. They gave me the buy this, do this, have this, uh, sign here, whatever. They never said, don't do these things. Don't go, and especially in ways that would be contrary to what my heart wants, right? Like, oh, I kind of want that. I kind of want to spend my money on that. I kind of don't want to, uh, or I kind of do want to have this thing, and, and it's kind of my own thing that no one knows about, right? That's what the culture and things want us to think about happiness. God's word, however, says it a little bit differently, doesn't it? And here's what I'm afraid of. 
I'm afraid of a lot of us who have lived our Christian life in verse 1 and have said, okay, I'm happy because I don't do these things. Right? What's the old saying? I, I don't drink or smoke or chew or... There you go. Thank you. Someone always knows it. And if not, I fill it in, right? Uh, or guys, right? Sorry, ladies. You know, you want to do that too. Uh, right? That's, that's the, the totality of our Christian life for some of us. So long as I haven't committed these sins, so long as I have the checklist, therefore I am on the right road or I'm living the happy life. I'm not standing in the way of these sinners. I'm not walking in the seat of, or, or, or sitting in the seat of, of mockers. I'm not doing these things. And friends, I, I have for too long lived my Christian life in that sort of stream. And that's not to say that God's word does not have serious things to say about sin. That's not to dismiss the reality that God is holy and that God has a way in which he wants his people to walk. But friends, that's also a very shallow view, a very incomplete view of the life that God is calling us into. That God is calling us into a full, flourishing, happy life that, of course, includes not doing these things. But what does it do? Uh, we'll get into this in a little bit. It, it, it expands out into a much more beautiful, much more fulfilling, much more rewarding sort of idea of not just doing these things, but what? What's the word that the psalmist uses in verse 2? In my scripture, or my copy, or rather, it says, delight. He delights in the law of the Lord or the instruction of the Lord. So it's a posture of delighting in the things of the Lord. Not just walking away from things, but walking towards things. And specifically towards one who is God. And so, friends, I think uh, as we look at verse 1, again, we need to remind ourselves that, um, you know what? This is actually who we are. I have, well, man, I've, I've walked in the advice of the wicked. Um, I've stood in the pathway of sinners. I've sat in the company of mockers probably this week in some form or fashion. So where's my hope, right? Well, I think just as we think about that, and as we're tempted to maybe say, look at us versus them, let's remember what Paul said. Let's remember what he says to the church in Corinth where he says, and some of you, chapter 6, verse 11 in 1 Corinthians, some of you used to be like this, but you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So in case you have found any other excuse to think that uh, I'm better than these people because I don't walk in this way, Paul just go ahead and, go ahead, he just go ahead and just, uh, equalizes everyone and says, well, we've all fallen short of God's glory. So you're welcome. You're in verse 1-2 with me. And so that's why we need to think about something or someone that we need in order to uh, fulfill what the psalmist is talking about. And as we think about that, the psalmist gives us this beautiful, rich imagery. So, friends, it, it's not just not doing these things. It's delighting in the Lord's instruction. It's the, the idea of walking opposite of the wicked, of doing things that are different than the rest of the world. It's a description not only of actions, but rather of one's heart. And that heart comes out in that big D word, delight. Delighting in the Lord's instruction. Now, that doesn't just mean you're reading your Bible all the time, but let's 
do that. Let's walk in that way. But it's a desire to be in and of the things of the Lord. What the Lord is about, we should be about. So when there is life that is threatened at whatever cost, at whatever degree, we should be about that. When there's people who are being oppressed for whatever reason or whatever, we should be about that. When there's poor and needy, we should be about that. When there's people who are speaking untrue things about God, we should step into that. When there are people in our community, in this place, brothers and sisters, who are walking contrary to the will of the Lord and are seeking out false happiness, we should be stepping in and helping. Right? So it's this idea of not just delighting in the Lord's law and meditating on day and night as if we're on a turbo Bible reading plan, but it's a, the word of the Lord is affecting my heart to the degree that I now see reality differently. The word of the Lord, God's instruction, is now infiltrating my whole mind and heart to where I now see people not as a stepping stone or a rung on a ladder, but as souls, as people who need the hope of the gospel, who need the care of Jesus the ministry of his word. I, I now have been transformed in the renewal of my mind, as Paul says in Romans 12. This is the idea of delighting in the Lord's instruction. So friends, again, our Christian life is not just not doing these things. It's pursuing and walking in a vibrant life of the Lord. And we'll talk more about how the psalmist describes that. But friends, I just want to, I just want to share again, my own path and my own way of seeing this to where I could have justified anything I was doing because as long as I didn't feel like I was doing these things, right? Well, I'm not walking in the way of the wicked as I define it, right? Or I'm not sitting in uh, or standing in the pathway of sinners as I have kind of made it, right? I've justified myself. I've self-justified my sin. Friends, I did that this week probably, and so, friends, we need to remember, we need to understand that, again, the Lord is not calling us to check off a list, but to live in a way that we delight in who He is and delight in others. And so God is concerned about our hearts. And, friends, here and in other places, He gives us multiple coordinates about what it means to be happy, to be the happy one. Do people in your life mark you out as happy? When they look at you, do they say, that's a happy person? I'm not saying that you are like, uh, you know, Gomer Pyle or someone who's walking around just laughing and smiling all the time. But no, do they see your life as exhibiting a deep and profound happiness that they can't see anywhere else? Do, do, do they know that there's something different about you because of a, 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 a I don't want to, be weird, but there's an aura, right, or something about you that exudes a different level than what they see in the world. And so this is the idea that we are gaining from Psalm 1, that we have a different type of, uh, of life. We delight in something else. And a psalmist actually gives us the perfect image. Like, I don't have to invent an image to help you out here. I don't have to put something up on the screen to show you what that looks like. The psalmist himself actually says, he's like this. 
You are going to be like this. You're like a tree, verse 3, planted beside flowing streams. Just think about that imagery, right? Flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. So this is a further description, not just of someone who's delighting in the, in the law of the Lord, someone who's meditating upon his, his word day and night, but someone who actually is connected to the Lord is going to be like this. I know that's hard to think about in a hot Texas summer, right? But imagine the most luscious tree that you can think of. Think about the, just imagine the, the green, imagine the fruit, imagine all of the things that contribute and make a plant or whatever uh, tree vibrant. That's what the psalmist is trying to help us see. And not only that, not just have a picture of, some, of a tree bearing fruit, but actually think about how it's bearing fruit. Think about the ways in which the fruit is born on that tree. And specifically, right, planted beside flowing streams. There's always a constant flow of life to that tree. There's always something that's feeding into the roots. There's always something that's uh, making that tree continue to grow and flourish, even in those times, right, where its leaf does not wither, or in, in, in those times where perhaps it, the fruit is going to maybe not come that season. But no, there's always a flowing and abiding life. What is that life? Well, Jesus described that life, didn't he? In John 15, he says, Remain in me, and I in you, just as the branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. Neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me, and I in him, produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. That's the same kind of imagery. It's a, taking it a little bit different direction, but it's the exact same kind of thought that you will not produce fruit, friends, unless there is a vibrant connection to the life of God through Jesus Christ. This flowing stream, who is that? It's Jesus. Friends, we are always trying to pump out new water ourselves when the flowing stream of Jesus is right there available to everyone. Friends, the wells that we dig are always going to be dry unless they are connected to the life of Jesus. So friends, as we think about this, right, this is the flowing stream that the psalmist is talking about. This is how we delight in the Lord. This is how we find life in the Lord. And when we do, we can't help but bear fruit. We can't help but think about uh, a vibrant Christian life. So herein lies the key to understanding God's view of happiness, is that we must be in Him to flourish, to thrive. We must be connected to the root to have the flowing streams wash over our roots. And that though it may seem as if we are not bearing fruit in a season, though it may seem as if a leaf is withering, what does the psalmist say? Whatever he does prospers. There will be times where it feels as if those things are happening. But if we are connected to the vine, if we're connected to the flowing streams, whatever the image you want to use, Jesus promises we will produce fruit, friends. Beloved, Jesus has promised that we will produce fruit. So take courage. Take comfort. This does not diminish the fact that there is suffering in our lives. This does not uh, glance over the reality of trials that take place. 
But if we truly believe what the psalmist is saying here, if we truly understand what Christ has told his, uh, his disciples and, and to us, we are going to bear fruit. And that fruit may not necessarily come tomorrow. What does the psalmist say? It bears fruit in its season. Season may not be next month. The season may not be while you are here on earth. But fruit will be born in its season. So what is that an opportunity to do for us? That's an opportunity to trust. That's an opportunity to humble ourselves before the Lord. That's an opportunity to prayerfully pursue Him and ask, as we just did, Lord, would you heal? Lord, would you bring comfort? Lord, would you help bring wisdom? Lord, would you help relieve a a season of suffering? And then we're invited to trust. We're invited to have faith. We're invited as a community of saints to come alongside one another, to encourage one another. That's a way in which fruit is born, actually. That's a way in which the leaf doesn't wither. That's the way in which we affirm and reaffirm that we are connected to the flowing stream of God. And again, it may not happen in our lifetime, but the promise is that fruit will be born. And so, friends, I just want to encourage us to think about how our culture views happiness. Uh, again, I mean, we, we, we consider the fact that uh, this is contrary in a lot of ways to the, the way in which the world wants happiness. We want happiness now. We want happiness instantaneously. And friends, we have all been brought up to think that in different ways. It doesn't matter your generation. It doesn't matter the era in which you grew up. You were all brought up in some form or fashion to desire happiness uh, more immediately than we get it. Probably it's most uh, obvious in our current day and age where the second, like if you just said, oh, that Bonavita coffee maker, I want that. Okay, I'm going to go online real quick while he's preaching and buy it. And by the time you get home, it's there, right? Like, I'm not kidding. Don't test me on it. I don't, I mean, whatever. Uh, If you want it, great. But um, that's what we understand as our culture today, instantaneous gratification. And not only that, we live in a very therapeutic culture, don't we? we live, what do I mean by that? We live in a culture that says, you know what? It's all about what you need and what you want and how you can fulfill yourself, how you can be your true, authentic self, right? And how you can remove the barriers that have been placed around you. Oh, your family says you're this way, or your culture says you're this way, or your church says you need to do this, right? Just remove all those barriers and live out your true, authentic self, right? I'm pretty sure that, like, is the exact mantra of some book that's being sold out there, because that's the therapeutic culture in which we are being reared in currently, that it's okay to do these things, it's okay to have all these things, it's okay to realize your true potential, cast off the shackles of whoever's binding you to whatever belief system you think is oppressive, and that's how you find happiness. Well, friends, some of us, that may be uh, the story that we have. Let me ask you, did you find happiness in that? No, I'm willing to bet that you have found more pain, more despair, more loneliness, Why? Because you're finding, you're trying to find happiness in here. You're trying to find happiness in the recesses of your heart. When happiness is found in the deep abiding relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Now, it's important to care for ourselves, right? It's important to think about those things. It's important to to work through those things in a counseling relationship. I'm not putting any of that down, by the way. I'm just saying our happiness is not found in those spheres, 
Those things are only effective insofar as they're connecting themselves back to the root of God's Word. And so, friends, let's be uh, cognizant of that. Let's, be, uh, let's have our eyes open to that, because the reality is, friends, we are living in a Genesis 3 world on repeat every day. And so the subtle whisper of Satan, did God really say, is in our ears at every point. Did God really, is that really true? Did God really say that he's going to do that for you? Did, did God really say that no matter what? Right? Did, did God really say, um, I, I will never leave you or forsake you? Because it sure doesn't look like he's doing that. Right? These are the whispers that we, we hear. This, this is the temptations that we're given. This is how Satan has worked from the very beginning. And so that's why we have to continue to go back to the assurance of God's word and say, no, this is what it means, and this is what he says, and this is what he is prom uh, promising and, and telling us, that whatever he does prospers. I'm in Jesus Christ. I'm going to prosper. I'm in Jesus Christ. I'm going to bear fruit. I'm in Jesus Christ. My leaf will not wither. So get behind me, Satan, right? Because this is true. And so the, the psalmist continues to think about the difference between those who are on the true path of happiness and the false path of happiness, right? Verse 4, the wicked are not like this. They're not like the ones who are planted by streams of flowing water. They're not like the ones who bear their fruit in the season. They're not like the ones whose leaf does not wither. No, they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Any farmers... Anyone grow up on a farm? I thought one person would. Yeah? East Texas? Yeah, Eustis? Um, yeah. Uh, what's the chaff? You separate the wheat from the chaff, right? The, the, the grain, the, the fruitfulness, the, the useful part of the crop from the husk, from the stuff that doesn't matter, that just covers it up. What is this? So what is the, the, the psalmist saying here? That, that's actually a, a, a picture of judgment. That's actually a picture of of saying, uh, this is what people who are not abiding in Christ look like. They're just like this stuff that gets blown away. They're just like the stuff that even though they might be near and around the wheat or, or, or of the, the seed, at the end of the day, they're just going to get tossed up and the wind is going to blow them away. That's what the psalmist is trying to convey here, that they are like nothingness. So the, the sinful path, the kind of worldly path that we've inherited of happiness, the psalmist is laughing at that and is saying, that's nothing. That's going to blow away in the wind. And friends, how many of us have chased things that have ultimately blown away in the wind? How many of us, I'm speaking to myself, by the way, have put our hope in things that have ultimately just blown away in the wind? Friends, that's the psalmist. That's what the Lord is trying to help us see. The Holy Spirit knows exactly what that's about. The wicked, verse 5, will not stand up in the judgment. Sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Oh, Lord, may it not be true. May I not be one of those. May those who are lost in my neighborhood not be counted among these. Right? So, again, we need to go back and say, well, at least that's not me. That, that thought, we need to ask the Lord for a convictional uh, sort of heart that says, I, I, I don't want my neighbor to be this person. I, I don't want my, uh, my loved one 
to experience this. I want them to know the hope of Jesus Christ. I want them to know what it means to have a flourishing life. I don't want them to be chaff. I don't want them to be chasing away. I don't want them to be someone who can't stand up in the seat uh, or stand up in the judgment in the assembly of the righteous. And friends, if we're ever tempted to think, if we're ever tempted to take a posture of pride in this uh, sort of understanding, let's remember what the Holy Spirit said through Paul. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who makes you so superior? What do you have that you didn't receive? If in fact you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? So friends, again, verse 4 and 5 are actually about us as well. To guard our hearts against the, the, the false notion that we've earned this position. That we are somehow flourishing because of what we have done. No, Paul says, who makes you so superior? Why do you boast as if you haven't received it? Friends, everything that we have, we've received from the Lord. We, the only posture that we can have is humble gratitude. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that I have this faith. Thank you that I have the assurance. Thank you that I have the righteousness of Christ clothing me now. Thank you that I've been united with Christ by faith. Yes, I made the decision to do that, but my goodness, the Holy Spirit came in and radically transformed my heart and said, you wanted that way of happiness? Here's the way of happiness. Humble submission and love to a God who cares for you, who's for you, who will never leave you or forsake you, whose burden is light. Friends, I just, I think at this point we need to just, maybe for some of us, remind us that there's, there's nothing that you can do to decrease God's love for you if you're in Christ. Let me say it again. There's nothing that you can do to decrease God's love for you for you in Christ. If you're in Christ, God loves you now fully forever the same. So what you did this morning, the unkind word that you spoke to your spouse, to your kids, the thought that you had on the drive-in, the meter of God's love didn't all of a sudden just go down. The, the, the needle on the gauge didn't go closer to empty. No, God's love was fully present with you from eternity when you trusted and were united with Christ by faith. And then the converse is true. And I think this is actually where we are more tempted to think, is that the love of God does not increase when all of a sudden we do more good things, right? That for those who are in Christ, you're, the love of God doesn't all of a sudden, like the, you know, remember like you watch those little telethons and the little, uh, you know, thermometer goes up when more money is, you know, given, you know, it's not like, Oh, he decided to love his spouse better today. Oh, we're almost there, guys. Uh, or, or he decided to, uh, you know, uh, not cuss while he was driving or something like that. Okay. Oh, God's love is up, right? Friends, for those who are in Christ, God's love is with you fully and forever for eternity. No matter what you've done, no matter what you will do, that's not license to sin. That's a comfort to understand God's love and his abiding grace. So, again, don't hear me say, go do what you want because God loves you. No, rest in God's love and then move forward. No matter what you did yesterday, no matter what you're going to do this week, rest in God's love and then move forward. Ask for the Spirit's 
conviction. Ask for brothers and sisters to hold you accountable. Ask for people to walk alongside you so that you are uh, making sure your decisions are representing biblical faithfulness and wisdom. But don't think for a minute that God's love is increasing or decreasing based on your faithfulness. It's there forever because of Christ's faithfulness. So friends, I, I, sorry, I just need to say that to myself probably, but when we read this psalm, when we get down to the end here, we need to continually remember that this was who I was apart from Jesus. This is who I am apart from the love of God by the power of the Holy Spirit working in my heart. I want to do these things. I want to walk contrary to the world. I want to walk in the way of the wicked. But thanks be to God that he has saved me and rescued me, that he has placed me in the family, that he has transferred me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son, that he is um, whatever biblical image that we're given, that he has adopted me into his family. And so that when I read Psalm 1, I no longer have to bear the guilt of saying, well, that's not me. I can't do that. But now when I read Psalm 1, I can look up to God and say, thank you, Jesus, for rescuing me. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving me the faith and uniting me to Jesus so that when I read Psalm 1, I'm reading about Jesus. When I read Psalm 1, I'm reading about what I am in Jesus, who I am in Jesus. So when I read Psalm 1, it's not just, uh, well, I, I hope I can do that this week. When I read Psalm 1 is, I get to be a part of this now and forever. I get to delight in the Lord's instruction. I get to meditate upon it day and night. I get to remember that apart from Jesus Christ, I was the wicked one. I was the one who was chaff. I was the one who would not stand up in the judgment. I was the sinner who could not stand in the assembly of the righteous. But thanks be to God. And that as the psalmist closed, the promise of comfort that we have, the promise of God's presence with us, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. So there's still a a warning here. There's an invitation here as well. And there's also the assurance and the promise that the Lord is watching over the way of the righteous. And friends, again, as we think about the way of the righteous, that's only one way. That's only one person who's the way of the righteous, and that's Jesus. And so when we think about watching over the way of the righteous, we should never for a moment think, well, I hope I'm one of them. We should never for a moment doubt that I really do uh, really want to be this. I I really hope and trust that I'm I'm one of these people. No, we should, when we read verse 6, say, Thanks be to God that I am a part of the righteous because of the one who stood in the way of sinners for me on my behalf. That he is actually the one, as verse 1 talked about, he was the one who uh, walked in the advice of the wicked yet never gave over to it. He was the one that stood in the pathway of sinners yet never was one of them. He was the one who sat in the company of mockers yet never became them. He did all those things on our behalf. He stood in the way of sinners, not as a sinner, but as someone who represented sinners for us. So that when we look to him, we can say, I'm a part of that way of the righteous because of the one who did this on my behalf. 
And so, friend, the, the call, beloved, the call is, I mean, it could be myriad. It could be asking the Lord to convict our hearts of the spirit that says, well, I've earned this, I've deserved this, I've, I've done these things, so therefore I, I, I'm, uh, I'm part of the way of the righteous. No, no. For us, we need the conviction of humble gratitude and continual submission to say, Lord, help me to see that this is the better way of happiness. Thank you that I am on this way. Thank you that I am part of this way because of what Christ has done. Thank you that I get to be a part of the family of flourishing, the planted tree that is the church who has fruit that is bearing, who has leaves that are not withering. Thank you that I get to be a part of this community by faith. So maybe that's some of us. Maybe it's just the recognition that God really does want your happiness. Maybe that's a really difficult thing for us to hear and to understand today. Probably because we've inherited a false idea of happiness. Probably because we have a notion of happiness that's not what the psalmist and the Holy Spirit is trying to get us to see. So maybe some of us need to recognize God wants your happiness and that's only going to take place when I submit myself to Jesus Christ and when I claim His righteousness as my own and when I remember that all the promises that are given to the Son are now available to me, that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is mine because of Jesus Christ. Maybe that's some of us. Maybe that's a first-time decision for some of us today, to see that as more beautiful, as more glorious, as more happy than what the world has to offer. And then hopefully for all of us, it's to simply recognize, perhaps drop to our knees in humble adoration of a God who would do this for us, who would invite us into a flourishing life? Did he have to do that? No. But he delights to do that because he wants to see his people flourish. He wants to see his people happy. He wants to call other people into that life as well. And so if nothing else, let's worship Let's worship the God who cared enough to make Psalm 1 true for us, who cares enough to invite us continually back into this and away from other things that promise happiness but never, ever fulfill in their promises. So friends, I, I want us again to see that God's purposes for us, His affection and His delight is set upon us, and He wants us not only to do things that please Him, but to remain and understand the happiness that is available to us. And so, friends, when we have that knowledge out of gratitude, we can desire to walk in the ways and meditate upon His Word. And then when we fail, we can look to Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, and who has done all these things for us perfectly, who went before us, and who now, friends, prays on our behalf, intercedes on our behalf, prays along with us as we pray for those who are broken, prays along with us when we pray for those who need salvation. Christ, by the power of His Spirit, is here with us today and continually inviting us back into this life of happiness. So would we consider that? Would we think about that? Would we walk away from here knowing 
that we can and will live the happy life. We don't have to live in a certain apartment. We don't have to drink a certain coffee. We don't have to drive a certain car. The happy life is available to us today. Let me pray. Holy God, I thank you for the word that you've given us, the power of the Holy Spirit, which uh, makes this word come alive, which is true and inerrant and authoritative for our lives. And Lord, would we see this as the, uh, the, the life that we've been promised, the life that we have now, that we don't need another book, we don't need a, another program, we don't need another philosophy, we need the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, every day for eternity, we claim Jesus as our sufficiency and our righteousness. And in that, I pray that our, our happiness would grow. Lord, I do pray for those in here that have already been prayed for, but just to reiterate that there are times in our life where fruit does not seem to be present. There may be men and women in here who feel like their leaves are withering, who feel like there is no flowing stream connected to their roots. Spirit, would you encourage us? Help us to see how, oh, that's just not true. That you are with us, that you don't forsake us, that you walk with us through the valleys, and that you remain committed to us, regardless of our level of faithfulness, regardless of how well we have completed the task. But you, Jesus, are the one who has done those things for us on our behalf so that we would find the happiness that you promise. Thank you for this time and your word. Pray for those in here Lord, who, who do not know the hope of the gospel, who do not know the beauty of Jesus, who do not know the flourishing life that is available to them through knowing you. I pray, Spirit, that you would move in their hearts, bring conviction, but also bring assurance and comfort as well. Thank you for this time. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.